Welcome to the Michigan State University Work-Life Podcast. We are in Linton Hall today. It's a Friday. It's a cold morning. This is probably the 13th episode we've done. And it started off, it was too hot in this office. I had to open up the windows, and now it's too cold. So we've really run... (laughs) Run the gamut in terms of weather outside, but it is a Friday morning here on the uh, campus of Michigan State University. We are in the work-life office, and we are here today uh, to interview Judy McMillan, who is a 2014 winner of the Outstanding Supervisor Award here at Michigan State. Judy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) You might have traveled the farthest so far. Well, no, we had somebody from the biological station in Kalamazoo Battle. Oh, KBS. Yeah. 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 But uh, where's your office at? It's so we the Office of Regulatory Affairs moved off campus, and we are located at Four Thousand Collins Road. So we are across from the horse farm. <laughs> across from the horse farm mm-hmm. at MSU could almost be anywhere. Yeah. Right? There's a horse farm around every around every. It's corner. on Collins Road. It's it's near where the uh, Collins okay. Jolly Post Office is, and where the new hospital will be. Yep, yeah, exactly. Are there any other offices over there with you? So, yes. So EHS moved over there. All of ORA, which includes CAR, IACUC, HRPP, EHS. Um, We also have IT services. um, A through Z. Right. Yeah. It's alphabet soup. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of acronyms. That's good, though, that you have other colleagues over there, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think maybe, uh, you know, I used to work at MSU in Flint, and sometimes we felt like a little island up there, Mm -hmm. Um, but it sounds like you have uh, quite a few people over there. Do you know how many people are in the building, or...? I do not. I know uh, that um, we're getting larger and larger. So even on Fridays, the parking lot is full. Oh. We're starting to get full. So you share um, similar problems that we yes. have here in East Lansing. Yes, okay, yes. not it. not quite as bad, but um, uh, I'm not sure. Probably, probably two thousand, maybe, oh, that's maybe fifteen hundred to two thousand people. And I could be completely wrong. Now, when you won the award in 2014, were you in that building or were you somewhere No, else? I was at Olds Hall. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that makes sense. Aren't there still some regulatory affairs folks in Olds Hall? So I think um, all of the Office of Regulatory Affairs moved off campus. However, I believe there's EHS folks on mm. campus still. Um, or they have landing spots or something. I'm... Uh, our office, the compliance office, does have to do frequent visits to campus. So we're coming to campus a lot, but our and main office is When off. did you move over there? We moved over there in April of 2017. Okay. I'll, I'll start the questions now with this sort okay. of thing because um, we, and again, we're talking about outstanding supervision and how to really lead teams in an outstanding way. So uh, – in a different uh, subject matter of meetings, uh, a series of meetings we've been having here at Michigan State in the Work Life Office with our team, is talking about the frequent changes that are happening here now as we get a new president and there's a lot of uh, new faces at the at the top levels, uh, administrators, and we have a new interim provost now in um, Dr. Sullivan. So uh, navigating change it can be um, challenging. It can be really exciting. It can be stressful. It could cause some anxiety. Uh, so let's go back to 2017 when you moved. 
Uh, how did you get your team from one physical location to another successfully uh, and have them kind of experience that tumultuous time of moving offices and uncertainty and, and a rocky road? Um, did it all go well, or how did you lead them through that change? <laughs> sure, sure. So, well, let me back up and say that um, I work with the Human Research Protection Program. So our office does uh, reviews all research involving human subjects conducted by our uh, faculty, staff, or students. So we have official university records um, that we need to make sure that there is a chain of command when you move them from one location to another. So that literally was watching where we had one person watch the movers pack up the records and the filing cabinets and Paper weighs a lot, yes. <laughs> and we have a lot of paper. We have since gone electronic, but um, at the beginning, there was a lot of paper. So you have one person watch and move with the movers to get all those records on board, and then you watch them lock it. They give you the key. You travel to the other location, and then the process in the reverse happens. Um, so that that's more mechanical, but the logistics of trying to figure out how are we going to move all these paper records from A to B and keep the chain of custody um, so that we always know that the records are secure was probably a bigger part than moving people. Okay. I mean, we prepared people for a long time. We got pods for them to, or the little bins for them to put stuff in. We had pizza. It always helps to have food and make it fun. Um, but we we allowed for a lot of time to move from, from one location to the other. And there were logistical issues with, do you keep parking? You don't need to have parking at on Collins Road. Um, you're paying Lansing taxes. That's before East Lansing taxes. But there oh, were logistics yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, how do we keep it fair? How do we allow the folks that have a business need to come on campus, to come back on campus? There is a researcher Collins Road shuttle that people use to come back and forth. Um, but it, 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 the actual physical move um, was not that hard. What, what I think was harder for some people, I've been on campus 32 years and not walking the Red Cedar River. Oh, I yeah. said, I'm going to have to go on antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some of it is the psychological that, that um, you know, moving off campus. But there are some pros, too, definitely. Um, how about the workload when you moved? It sounds like, you know, you have your everyday, everyday, day-to-day tasks, and then you're also tasked with this physical move of loading boxes and moving boxes, mm-hmm. which is uh, extra logistics. So one of, the comp- uh, one of the subjects that we talk about in these podcasts is making sure that your staff doesn't feel overburdened or overworked. So how did you get this uh, challenge of moving, which comes with all these extra things, but meanwhile, you've hired a person to look at uh, human subjects research files, and you're still having this logistical thing of moving. How did you work with your team and ensure that they weren't overburdened and overworked during this this move? So it's a matter of scheduling. You make sure you don't schedule site visits during that time, or uh, and we have the luxury of being able to say, you know, for the next three days, we are not going to be conducting any site visits or compliance reviews or teach visits, which are training, education, and compliance help. So we do have the luxury more so than the institutional review board, which is the office that reviews all research. Uh, but even the IRB 
was not available to review. I think it was a day. It might have been two days. It was a very, and we had contingencies in place for any emergency that would come up, which luckily none did. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't really that hard, the logistics, to do it. And, and we talked about it probably and planned for it six to nine months before the move ever happened. Yeah, planning and scheduling has come up several times in these podcasts. Uh, that clarity with your team is very helpful. Mm-hmm. If there's a clear plan in place and a good schedule that's solid, uh, teams s- sort of like that, and it really helps them. And being able to get input. So where you can have a group decision, definitely get a group decision. It should not be one person saying, we're going to do it this way. All right, now let's talk about those principles and practices of outstanding supervision. And specifically, so I have here a guest uh, to my right who is also a winner of the 2014 Outstanding Supervisor Award. That is Mike Gardner. And if you've been listening to our podcast past episodes, you've heard Mike's wonderful radio voice. He's got a face for radio, so he's got a list of oh, que- yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got a he's got a list of questions, and we're going to talk now about the nitty gritty of outstanding supervision. And uh, Mike, do you have your first question ready, or do I got to do another one of these outstanding segues? Because that's what the award that I'm winning here today is a self declared award of outstanding. <laughs> the only way you're going to get it, John. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, good. Judith, you know, I'm interested in, in your, your position and your job and what you have to do. And it obviously have a lot of rules and regulations that your staff have to be held to uh, in dealing with the human subject matter and what you've got to do. And sometimes I think uh, just in, in, in my reference, and I didn't have as much as, as you have to do as far as rules and regs go and in, in, in material handling and whatnot um that can be kind of a dry (laughs) uh subject so to speak and not putting anything out there um but you have a team that has to deal with this on a regular basis how do you keep them loose and going when they're under these kind of stringent rules and regulations that they have to make sure as you talked about uh following the cases as they move from from the old location to the new location uh and then having to deal with the day-to-day things that they have um, and keeping them fresh. Mm-hmm. Okay, talk a little bit about sure. how you do that in that environment. Sure, uh, sense of humor helps, <laughs> and it is true that the regulations are pretty dry. In fact, whenever we do presentations, people are interested in the history and the atrocities mm-hmm. committed in the name of research. But when you start talking about FDA regulations you know, governing clinical trials with drugs and devices. It's not exactly an exciting topic. Um, I think, so we have um, a group of uh, five of us, who myself included would be six, who um, are tasked with keeping um, researchers in compliance with all of the federal regulations. There's uh, guidance. Um, we review for things outside of the IRB regulations. So, for example, if you're doing um, clinical investigations with drugs or devices, we also will do compliance reviews to make sure you are compliant with um, HIPAA regulations or ICHGCP, or I'm going to throw out a lot of acronyms, um, FERPA. <laughs> um, our office is tasked with making sure that the researchers are doing it right, 
but that also the uh, IRB office is following all of their policies and procedures, which are all available online and probably all totaled if you add up all of them, over 800 pages of written policies and procedures, because our policies and procedures are an extension of the regulations. We are saying this is how we're going to do it. And so I think um, to answer your question, um, it, it really helps to have the attitude of find it and fix it. Let's not be punitive. We are very cognizant of the fact that no one is looking at our work uh, and we're not robots. We're human. We mm-hmm. all make mistakes. So it's really good when you have that team attitude because um, we have uh, researchers who will uh, be quite uh, nervous before they see us. And once we leave, they're like, well, that was really good. And they've actually told their colleagues about it. And we have people who will uh, call us up and say, you know, so-and-so down the hall had a a site visit from you, and I want to schedule a site visit, which you would think is unheard of. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. But our team is a group of uh, folks that are all professional. Most of them have higher degrees than I have. A lot of them have certifications. A lot started within the um, clinical environment or did mm-hmm. bench research or were on the other side, mm-hmm. so there's empathy there. They want it. They really have an a idea of they really want to help. Um, so I think it. I think it. Um, the compliance office is pretty new. We just started in 2012, where HRPP split mm-hmm. into the IRB and compliance, and so we've been able to working with my boss, Kristen Burt, who's the HRPP director, been able to sculpt this program and kind of make it the way we want to make it. And Kristen is an awesome boss and has allowed us to do, given us a lot of um, flexibility how, how we schedule this. And so we provide service at the beginning when an application comes into the IRB office. Our office is assigned as an ancillary reviewer if it involves anything outside of the IRB regulations. So again, if they're doing clinical investigations or working with FERPA or anything like that, and at the very beginning, we will work and make sure it's compliant. And then for FDA-regulated clinical trials, this is post-IRB approval, pre-subject enrollment, we go in and do what's called a TEACH visit, which is training, uh, education, sorry, TEACH stands for (laughs) training, education, and now I can't think of what the acronym stands for. The idea is when we first started doing site visits in 2012, we found a lot of problems. And so we go in, we give people a printout very specific to what they're doing. And from that, um, they know what they need to do to remain in compliance. Um, So we also then do post-approval site visits. We'll do record reviews where we do stop and go for our frequent flyers, people who see us all the time. We're not going to do an interview. We're just going to do a record review. And usually things are in fabulous shape and we walk away. So I am going to answer your question. (laughs) From all of these things, um, we have a team that I think is is happy to do the job because we feel like we're helping. Um, And when we notice something or if there's something that needs to be tweaked or fixed or we want to do something differently, we modify our SOPs, we modify our policies, and we're able to do that. So I think it really helps uh, because the team has input. Um, Everyone's coming from a different um, 
field and area where they uh, are able to um, get put their input and then also make the program better. So that's why that's how I think. Sometimes it's hard because you find noncompliance or you find something, and it's not our office that would make a noncompliance determination. It's the IRB office, but we want to make it right. And sometimes. You know, we're not able to make it right. It is what it is. But that's where um, I think the group tries um, really hard. The acronym for TEACH is Training, Education, and Compliance Help. I knew it would come out. <laughs> you'd, find, you'd find it back there. With the alphabet um, you have to deal with, I, I can imagine. I know. My husband says I have no idea what Judy does. She just does a job with a lot of acronyms. There you go. There you go. Well, you, you, you have, it's a big job, and, a, and uh, you have a lot of details that, it has, that have to be covered. It's kind of like uh, you were talking about the person coming in, and you had done the, uh, the review with them, and then they thought it wasn't so bad, so their friend wanted or the other department wanted. It's kind of like having uh, the IRS come in visit you and feeling good about it so i think if you can do that i think you've uh, you've really come a long way or right. having an audit on campus is another thrilling event to have so uh you can make those things happy then you're doing you're see, doing we call very it well. a site visit i see well it's yeah. an audit uh, my boss's boss has said if you call it an audit come in on a broom Yes, I, I've seen a few of those fly by uh, in my day, so I know how that I know how that transpires. But um, you know, given the challenges of the uh, uh, areas that you're working with, and trying to keep a staff on a positive run when they're sometimes looking at negative issues, okay, um, what what do you do to motivate them to stay positive? and to want to come to work the next day? Well, I think it takes a village. So uh, I think You're the mayor? We, we have, no, no. <laughs> we have um, weekly team meetings okay. where if there is an issue that's hard, we bring it up, and as a group, we'll decide if we can, when we can, as a group, we decide how best to handle it. Again, the buck doesn't stop with me. Mm-hmm. I have a boss um, who is extremely knowledgeable, so I will take things to Kristen um, if we have to. And um, I, I, I think it just helps that everyone feels that they have a voice, that they mm-hmm. can affect change, that uh, sometimes the job, I mean, the job just with what it is, it's, it's difficult, mm-hmm. and you can't offer any assistance. I just printed out... Uh, there's new guidance coming out all the time, and it's mm-hmm. about 87 pages total. I mean, that's something that, and distributed that to the team, and that's something we're just going to have to sit down, roll up our sleeves, and read. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, allowing you know the time to be able mm-hmm. to do that, uh, not uh, over you know uh, over scheduling anyone. Um, I think that's what probably keeps people pretty motivated. We haven't had uh, too many people leave our team uh, since we started in 2012. We're a pretty small team, but um, I think people appreciate the flexibility. The, the Everyone on the team cares for everyone. There's accountability. If something needs to be changed, it gets changed. You know, dealing with a, with a team, um, and you have a, a lot of different players on the team, and everyone has a role uh, that they have to deal with. Um, but everyday life happens as well, mm-hmm. and you have to be able to accommodate that individual in, in whatever issues they may have. And sometimes they're not very vocal about saying what those issues are. Mm-hmm. How do you get yourself to be open to them to be able to come in and talk to you 
so that they can be the employee that you need them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that really hasn't been an issue. I mean, I have an open door policy. Te- the, the majority of the team will uh, express if there is with the little blips in life or something that mm-hmm. happens. A lot of times they bring it up with the whole team. Um, I don't encourage that. I will never bring it up <laughs> with the whole team. Um, but it, depending on what happens, there are times we just make sure that you're able to cover for someone or um, it hasn't – we're a fairly small team, uh, and it hasn't – Small by five, no, in six? In number. Well, in number numbers. Six. Six, okay. Six. Um, and um, – it hasn't been an issue, and five do the exact same thing. So when something does happen, mm-hmm. uh, you know we have had things that have happened uh, that you have to cover, or someone's out unexpectedly for two or three weeks. Um, you either reschedule those site visits, or someone else takes them. Or I mean, it's just a matter of of juggling. So it 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 hasn't been a huge issue, and I think everyone knows that they can come in and share things if they need to or not share things. I mean, you should be able to say, I need tomorrow off, and not say why you need tomorrow off. Very um, good, yep. yep. Everyone's got to have their own space and their yes, own time yes. uh, for things. Now, you said you haven't had much turnover in, yeah. in, in your – what do you attribute that to? Um, how do you keep that team going and not have that turnover? Sure. I've been on campus 32 years, and this is the and I've been in this office, although it's changed, and my position has changed within this office for 16 years. And I have never been in an office where um, if you say we need to make this change or it makes more sense to do it this way, that it happens <laughs> as quickly as it sometimes does. Sometimes you complain a lot or you complain to a coworker or a colleague, and you're maybe not saying it to the person who can affect change. Um, and I feel that within this office, and again, I think it starts with Kristen, um, we have um, the ability when something's not working to make tweaks and say this is how it's going to work. We agree to it. It's not in stone. If it's still not working, we revisit it, reanalyze, and, and uh, change it. I think we also, with um, we allow flexibility. Not everyone works 8 to 5. You know, we use the telecommuting policy that's available on campus and the flexibility schedule and we have a tele you know telecommuting and flexibility agreement with everyone um who uh works in our office we um afford the same considerations for everyone we have someone who commutes from grand rapids who is fabulous and could get a job in two seconds in grand rapids and i hope Mm -hmm. she doesn't (laughs) but um you know, that person, we allow them to telecommute, but the person who lives five miles away also has the same ability to telecommute. Um, and we're able to, we have the type of job where with the site visits, with writing up with reports and things that you can measure productivity, and as long as you have the agreement set up um, mm-hmm. ahead of time, that's helped with mm-hmm. being able to say, you know, they know what the expectation is, this is what I'm allowed to do. Um, we have one day when everyone's in the office because it's important that the team um, is to get b- together right. Right. all the time. Um, so I think I think that's helped with the um, longevity. I also think that the job is kind of exciting. You kind of mm-hmm. see all the research that's happening on campus. We always have 
projects where we maybe need to discuss as a group because we don't know what bucket it fits into. That can be challenging, but I think it's also kind of cool to you know not go in day in and day out and it's same old, same old. So I think um, some of what uh, the people we meet, the research, um, I think that keeps people. You know, I'm interested that you have an employee who has to drive 50 minutes to an hour from Grand Rapids every day and has been doing this for a period of time. Mm -hmm. What do you think uh, motivates that person to want to continue to do that in a long distance run and come, come in and work with this team? Her boss. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think it's her colleagues. I think okay. it's the team. I know she appreciates um, the, uh, I think, and, and I hope research in Grand Rapids picks up too, but uh, does, takes every, Jackie will take every site visit that happens in Grand Rapids mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she lives there. Um, but I do think it's the, um, the job. I mean, I think she likes being able to, because in our position, we're helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we do site visits, and especially because for the clinical research, they've seen us many times, mm-hmm. you know, it's great. We have a lot of folks where when we first, we were writing, um, after we meet with them, we meet with the IRB, and there's an HRPP report, and there could be observations, and observations and noncompliance have gone way down because we are there to provide education and help. And mm-hmm. I just think um, that's been probably the driving or mm-hmm. factor for people staying. Now, how long has this team of five or six been together? Um, since, well, we've had a bit of turnover, cause, um, and we also um, increased the positions mm-hmm. um, because the focus is moving more on post-approval mm-hmm. monitoring, so we need more bodies in place. Um, but I would say three years minus one person who joined us fairly recently. Okay. Um, and when you have, uh, have you had a person leave? We did. Okay. Yeah. And did you provide an exit interview for that individual? Um, <clears throat> we have done. So I, I know the reason the person left. Mm-hmm. They moved much closer to that school down oh. the street and Uh-oh. had three young kids. Heaven and forbid. <laughs> there, there were tears on both sides. Yes, okay. And I actually just heard from this person last week who yes. said she misses us. And we, we agreed. I, I said the same thing. We all miss her. But um, I, I like to do stay interviews versus exit interviews. We haven't had the opportunity to do too many exit interviews, so we try to do stay interviews. Describe a little bit about what that is. Sure. Uh, so a stay interview, and I mean, you can have a formal, mm-hmm. and it can be informal, mm-hmm. but we, at the time of um, the annual review, have a, addended, an addendum sheet where we will ask additional questions. What can I do to mm-hmm. help you? Where do you see um, your strengths? What um, opportunity for growth would you like to see? We have a big enough office with enough things that people can become the expert in one area. So if people are driven towards one area, mm-hmm. we get, we'll talk to them, give them the opportunity to take the lead on that, and then educate the rest of the team. Um, and then we do informal check-ins every couple of months, definitely every six months, but probably more frequently than that where it's just how are things going, you know, how's life treating you. What they, It could be just leaving the office and going for a walk one-on-one just to touch base and check in and make sure everything's okay, or uh, it might be a little more formal 
where you bring someone in and said, you know, I noticed a comment you made or, you know, I think, you know, is this uh, affecting you? I noticed you, you know, uh, flinched when I said this and, you know, what are you thinking? But just just check-ins to um, see you know, how, how, what's working for them, what isn't. And some, sometimes you can make changes and sometimes you can't, unfortunately. Um, but it's more, we've conducted, I've conducted many interviews and a lot of times we ask that question, where do you see yourself five to ten years from now? And um, a lot of times um, it's, just, it's just that, just mm-hmm. checking in and, you know, what, um, what's not working for you right now. Given a team and given um, they're all uh, kind of equals from what I'm understanding, uh, is to keep them um, from motivated because I I know in in my past history in in dealing with there wasn't a lot the pyramid was pretty peaked mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of upward movement potential out there right. and so you take on a little bit more to try to motivate and try to keep that team together by providing them something that will motivate them to keep them going. True. And we, when I was in the IRB office, we, I helped create a stepladder. We don't have that in the compliance office. However, everyone's at <laughs> the top of the ladder. <laughs> so no one's complaining that they're not under you know, mm-hmm. uh, this level. But everyone is, is the same. Uh, you know, they're all APAs 13s. And one of the reasons I push for that is everyone was doing the same work. And it really bothered me if someone as their stepladder I think is great but we created this office in 2012 everyone had the same skill set they were all doing the same work so um, I just pushed for them all to be APA's 13's and um, well so you you are not an APA 13 though you gotta be APSA and maybe a step higher I heard you say earlier so I wanted to I wanted to follow up with in this line of questioning that uh, you work with some high degree folks. So uh, my specific question is going to be, how do you manage folks that might have a higher degree than yourself? This Most is, of them do. Right. And this is academia. <laughs> so since this podcast is meant to go across campus where people are in the very same situation, but might have teams that, hey, they in this office in particular, like I have a PhD and my supervisor mm-hmm. may or may not have mm-hmm. you know my credentials. How do you motivate that staff and get respect from your team members or how does that all work out well for you when across campus there might be some conflicts due to you know who has a degree and who doesn't yeah sure thanks for that question john um (laughs) yeah um and in some ways it'd be nice to have my team here to say how and why um I think sometimes a degree is not necessarily, I think it's also work experience. And I started out 32 years ago as a bench tech. We did animal research, then moved over to clinical trials for 10 years and worked with clinical trials and then moved into the IRB office. So I think some of it is either street credibility or if you understand or are able to explain the regulations. It's your your knowledge of um, compliance with all of the regulations. So I think that helps. Oftentimes, I'm telling my team, "No, you take the lead on this," and they're like, "No, no, you you do it well. You do it." Or you know, I'd appreciate it if if you would do this. Oftentimes, when we do clinical, when we do um, presentate classroom presentations, or we'll go and do presentations for the compliance staff. 
Uh, it's often me doing it, and I'm pushing people, saying, why don't you, you know, you know this, you take the lead, you do the presentation. Um, I think that a degree in the job we do isn't probably as important as um, just knowing all the voluminous regulations, rules, um, guidance. Uh, I think that's probably more important. But that being said, a lot of the team do have the professional certifications too. So, for example, a CIP is a certified IRB professional, and in order to earn that, you have to uh, take a closed book exam, a four-hour exam over the regulations, Mm -hmm. and half our office has that. So... um, I'm not sure. I don't think for anyone, since most of the people are the same level, I have said numerous times, you know, you would be good at this job. I'll climb down the ladder. And they've said, no, we like you doing the job. And it's really job specific. It just makes me think as I'm setting Mike, see, the king of segues is setting Mike up for the next question is, uh, my PhD in sociology is not going to do me too much good in your uh, department where you come from, uh, residential hospitality services, right, Mike? Correct. Sometimes it's the body of work, you know, and knowing everybody has a little something different that they can provide. Some of them are very good researchers and have got a PhD, mm-hmm. and other ones don't have a PhD but can put on a great presentation and have a good way of working with people. That maybe that re- that research person is is dead on on doing and the, the nuts and bolts of that stuff, but take them out of that environment and they struggle. So sometimes it's like finding it right seat on the bus for the whole team to get together and drive down the road together, and it's finding and keeping everybody you know, in line with that. Um, Although I do feel lucky. I do feel there are people in our office that could do the job as well, if not better. Sometimes it's a comfort zone for them. And uh, right now they think you're very comfortable (laughs) in doing that (laughs) position. They like having you do that. So they go ahead and do that. And and I have found the same thing. Um, uh, I rely on on, uh, my staff when I was working here uh, could do sometimes and many times better than what I could do. And I encourage them to, mm-hmm. to move on and to do those yep. things. Yep. And so given that segue, how do you get them up that next ladder step to do those things? Because you've offered it to them to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And getting them to break that little wall down out of the box and and do that. Right. Uh, so we do have people in the office have taken the lead. And uh, on different, either dividing up HIPAA or FERPA or some compliance uh, lead, clinicaltrials.gov registration. And that's where you try to delegate. And then uh, when there's questions or they pull you in, you get their opinion. Well, what do you think? How would you do it? Um, And then just give um, feedback if you agree or disagree. Uh, You talked about your... your, um uh, little meetings that you have uh, with the staff, the an informal team. get together, yep. uh, maybe one on ones uh, with them on an occasional basis. Um, how do you get the feedback from them? You oftentimes maybe give them feedback to ask them how they're doing, what can I do for you, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How did you get feedback from them on how you're doing? Right. I specifically at- ask. Okay. So, what can I do to make your job better? What would you like to see me do anything differently? Um, if so, what? Um, what support do you need from me? What support are you not getting from me? 
just questions like that. How do you get them to be open? Um, maybe you've got four or five, and maybe your team feels open enough to do that. But in some cases, in some environments on campus, it's right. somewhat right. not quite like that. Yeah. Um, and you can ask those questions and tell your staff yep. to tell me what you feel, but yep. they're going to re- be reluctant because anything I say can and will be used against me. Right. You know? right. And so you want, right. you want to be able to have that open feeling to make sure that you aren't going to be bristling in defense Mm -hmm. of a comment that they make about maybe some way that you're handling or doing some part of your job. Right. So if someone says absolutely nothing, you're doing a fantastic job. It's like, (laughs) I know. I love those. I know. You probe a little more. We're all human. I know I could be doing better. Or uh, So it's more probing. I, I will say we have a pretty good team. I think we have some ground rules that we've laid out that we abide by, which, you know, we're not going to talk about so-and-so. So if you have a question about so-and-so, so-and-so comes in the office, and the three of us have a conversation. I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic principle to treat people how you want to be treated. And I don't even think we need to – I mean, I think we all abide by – some of those rules without even laying them out. But we have the weekly team meetings. I was out of the office for the past two weeks, but the team still met Mm. and discussed things. And I could join. I got a text during one of them, and I text back. But um, I think that um, we're a big enough or small enough group that we're able to – I said earlier it takes a village, but I do think it helps if um, you have something that's hard or you want to talk through or, you know, what would what would Judy do or what would someone do on the team? Mm-hmm. We, you know, talk as a group. And if there's consensus, that's what they go with. But last week they still wanted me to weigh in on, on one issue. Um, so I think I, I – and right or wrong, I, I do think the team feels they can – come to me with issues. I have been either held accountable or I didn't appreciate the way you did this or, you know, doing a presentation and setting it up and trying to figure when the majority of people are in the office to do this presentation. And uh, someone said, I really wish you would have done the presentation when I was in the office. So I moved it. I mean, if you come and and say and speak up and say, "I, I don't like the way you did that, we can try and change it, and sometimes you can't. And sometimes you can give the reason you can't, or you can just say, I'm, I'm really sorry, I can't tell you why, but it's this way. It sounds like uh, people are really comfortable coming to you uh, with uh, any issues or feedback or anything like that, that your open door is not just an open door, but it is a line of communication, and not only with your current staff, but with past staff. It's so great to hear that your past staff, who even went to uh, a lesser-known, yeah. you know, lower-ranked <laughs> quality <college> school <laughs> down the road, uh, still keeps in contact with you. And that's the complete opposite of burning a bridge when somebody leaves. And that means that you really built up a great relationship while that person was here, and you still continue that to this day. And that's you know what we want. I've talked to several folks in this podcast about um, uh, separating employees that have gone on to do different things and keeping in contact with those employees who have uh, left the university shows that the relationship was built while they were here, and that is fantastic. 
Uh, you mentioned that you give your uh, staff a lot of creative control and allow them to the opportunity to tweak things and you empower them to make changes. That's fantastic. Even modifying the standard operating procedures, that's great. Um, and you even talked about mechanisms for if they make a tweak uh, and they've been empowered to to make a change. If the change doesn't go so well, they still feel comfortable to come back to you and give feedback and, and open keep those lines of communication open. The last uh, thing that I want to uh, review and emphasize that I heard during your comments was that your team is really purpose-driven. And I hear that again and again in each one of these interviews that I that I do, and it's not that the that's not that the uh, person, the outstanding supervisor, says we're purpose driven. You know, we live on this set of principles. You don't come out and say that verbatim, but it shows through your answers. And you said we are here to help people. We are helping people. That's what motivates my team. And so, if your team is there to help people, they have a purpose, and that's what keeps them coming back to work and happy um, every day. So that's all. Wonderful. It's all great. And I appreciate you sharing with us. We tend to end these things in a very fun way. And that is, uh, and Mike, did I, I don't know if I asked you about yours yet. So did did I, (laughs) it was so, it was so exciting that I've already forgotten about it, huh? So yeah, right. (laughs) But, uh, 20, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, right. Uh, 2014 was a long time ago. I've already, it's already, I've already forgotten about years. But um, (laughs) Judy, 2014, can you remember your outstanding supervisor award ceremony? Can you relive it now for us and tell us how great it was? Sure, sure. Well, even before the ceremony, we always have a standing meeting with the whole group, and it's uh, the director, Kristen, who holds that. And it was the week before, and she was trying to figure out time that we could meet. And she's like, oh, we can't change the the weekly meeting. And I'm like, why not? You know, we always change internal meetings. She goes, we just can't. And I remember thinking, Kristen's never inflexible. (laughs) (laughs) And it was during that meeting that there was music in the hallway, and then people came in with balloons (laughs) with my husband, uh, and I just was really surprised um, and um, uh, humbled by it. And I uh, have a sense of humor. And I remember we at the meeting will always celebrate people's milestones and how many years they've been on campus. And we had someone in the group who had was on campus for two years. And I kept saying, speech, speech, before this <laughs> happened. Um, <laughs> so um, it was very humbling. And um, really, more to the point, though, I mean, it was nice, the the cake and everything. Um, but more to the point, after the meeting, I got a, a, a emails and uh, letters from people on campus that I've worked with um, just reiterating or saying it couldn't happen to a better person, um, colleagues that I work with, um, but also reading the member the, the letters from the team because everyone on the team sent a letter in, and that was overwhelming. I mean, it was great to I, – I didn't think – I'm all that. I still don't. But I really appreciate because we're all super busy and it's your actually your colleague that took the time to 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 do it. So um, that's probably what sticks with you. I'm not sure where that massive banner went. It is not in my office. I did not carry it to every meeting as I threatened my team with. 
Yeah. Um, remember when? Yeah. It's not, you know, wrapped on my door. Um, but You could always point to it if anything goes yeah. on to say, you know who you're talking to. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's wonderful to hear that uh, memory, and it's one of the privileges that Mike and I have uh, on an annual basis is to read those letters and remember that there are some outstanding supervisors, there are some fantastic relationships, and there are some real deep impacts that are created here um, by staff uh, and collegial relationships at Michigan State. So I appreciate Judy McMillan, 2014 Outstanding Supervisor Award winner, coming in to talk with me and Mike today. And I appreciate you, Mike, for coming in and uh, lending your perspective to this conversation. Two outstanding supervisors in one room. It is a, it is a <laughs> great vibe, and it's, uh, it's not just Friday that makes me feel good today. I really, truly appreciate both of you and the work that uh, you do and all the outstanding supervisors across campus. Thanks to our listeners as well. This has been another edition of the MSU Work Life Podcast. See you next time. Go green. Go white. Go white.